I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Kwas. This is episode 412 for Thursday, October 11th, 2012. Today's guest is pianist Aaron Parks. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel for the show's logo and Rob Grundle for the Jazz or Bust logo. Well, there are six shows left, including this one. The show ends on October 29th, as you know. And once again, my plans for the future have changed. What I was going to do was hang out here in Auburn, Alabama, where I currently am, for a couple of weeks, and then become a resident at the Upaya Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And then... I was offered an opportunity to become the assistant director of a nonprofit here in Auburn that runs the newsroom, the bookstore where I read poetry last time, and also has a publishing imprint and soon will have a, an educational arm and it's kind of a community gathering spot. And that sounded pretty great to me. So I took the job, which at the moment pays nothing. I have to raise a lot of my own salary, actually. Uh, but you can find out all the details about that at jasoncrane.org. And I should add that jasoncrane.org is going to be a great way to keep up with me if you're interested in doing that. I've also started to think about a new show, and there is a one-question survey over at jasoncrane.org through which you can help me decide the content of this potential new show. I don't have any firm plans yet, but it's starting to come together in my mind. And the two ideas that I had for a show are over in this survey at jasoncrane.org. So if you'd like to vote on which show you'd rather hear and support, then uh, that's a great way to do that. I think if you told me in May that I was going to be living in Alabama by October, I would have been incredulous. But uh, I'm very happy. I really, really love this town, and the people in it are fantastic. In fact, the people in it are the main thing I love about Auburn. I'm very excited to be someplace where I think I can make some kind of impact, and it'll be nice to just stop somewhere for a while and have a place to live and kind of get my get my life into something that resembles normalcy, if that's possible. So uh, wish me luck, and come down and visit anytime you want, or come up and visit, depending on where you are. Come over and visit. Meanwhile, let's uh, talk about Aaron Parks. Aaron Parks was on the show several years ago, around the time of the release of his album, Invisible Cinema, and he's since gone on to write a ton of other great music, and I saw him play in New York at, hmm, did I see him at Shapeshifter? I think I saw him at Shapeshifter, and which is a, a performance place in Brooklyn. Really, really loved it. Asked him to come on the show, which he did, and he's been in the studio since then making recordings, and those really aren't quite finished enough to actually have on the show, but we're going to hear uh, one recent recording of one of Aaron's tunes, and then we'll hear some uh, some stuff from Invisible Cinema, and you'll just hear a conversation about the new music that you won't actually get to hear yet. 
But I'm very happy to have Aaron on the show. He's just he's a great, great writer and uh, and a very, very nice guy. So here's music from Aaron Parks. My guest is the pianist and composer Aaron Parks. It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jason. It's great to be back as well. This is one of those rare interviews where we're actually not flogging anything on the show. Uh, we're kind of in this cool period where I have I've just saw you perform uh, very recently and really was impressed by the body of work that you're currently working on. Oh. And now you're in the studio trying to document that. So I'm interested, I guess, first and foremost, in kind of the development of the material that you're in the process of recording now, because I told you, and I mean this, that I think you're one of the few people I hear anyway in the contemporary you know, jazz or improvised music scene who still understands the concept of songwriting, hmm. um, and which I don't mean in any way as a simplistic term, but, but uh, just some idea of something that melodically and almost dramatically or narratively hangs together. So I'm interested in, in kind of your conception of how you approach well, well, thank you, first of all. I mean, that's, uh, that's something that's important, and that's a goal of mine, to be writing songs, because I love songs. And, um, yeah, I love, I love the way that, that a good song, whether or not it has lyrics or not, how it does tell the story. And I've always been interested in that narrative aspect of music. And, um, yeah, the, these songs have been coming together for a while, you know, it's... Uh, some of them, some of the things that you heard the other night, predate my last record, mm-hmm. um, and I've sort of just been like revising or, you know, adding to them, taking away from them, editing, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, a lot of times I really feel like a piece of music is never done, but I just at at some point I just need to say, okay, let's take a snapshot at least. <laughs> sure. Let's see where it is right now. And um, yeah, so uh, and then some of them are new. Some of them are new. A lot a lot of the songs date back. A few of the songs that we played the other night and that that I'm uh, trying to record right now date back to. Uh, commission that I got from the Jazz Gallery back in 2007 uh, to write a uh, basically yeah it was a composition commission that they, that they asked me to do and I put together a series of pieces based on different archetypes um, so I had I had written the wise old man the fool the trickster the great mother the eternal child the shadow and the self all these different things and um then threw in a few little ideas of my own, like the storyteller, things that weren't maybe classical Jungian archetypes, but still had had that like very clear sense of character. Um, so there's a few of those that that we did the other day, and uh, filled it out with some other ones. So yeah. And I'm terrible at remembering when things happened, but I saw you. I will say about a year ago, maybe at the Jazz Gallery, um, with. It. I feel like I'm a 90-year-old man, but as I remember it, maybe Becca Stevens was there mm. singing and a few other, there were a few other vocalists. Sure. Um, in another program that I really dug that, that struck me as both fairly different and maybe just because it was the presence of vocalists, but also still really tied into that, I don't know, kind of what I consider the, the sound of your writing. That's still that very. Right. Well, that gig, yeah, exactly. That one, we had uh, Rebecca Martin, Becca mm. Stevens, uh, Gretchen came and sang, That's sang right. on a tune. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the band was on that. I think Pete Rendy was playing. Yep, he sure was. Uh, I don't remember whether Dana was on that gig or not. I don't either. Um, Dana Stevens, that is. Right. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I, it feels like, I feel like a, like a, <laughs> feeling like a, my memory is going yeah. as well. And now, so how does that material relate to what you were just describing? Was that another iteration of some of this same exactly. material? Some okay. of it's the same. It's a couple of tunes that worked in that, in that context. Sure. That, that thing with the vocals, um, which I'm not ruling out of what I'm doing now as well. Uh, but, uh, that was more of like an intimate kind of thing. And we played a few more standards. On that gig, I think we did uh, Midnight Sun. Right. A really fantastic version, I thought, with uh, with Rebecca Martin and Becca Stevens singing together, which which had this amazing dreamy vibe. Uh, but yeah, the the that was a more intimate kind of like a program of ballads almost. Sure. And uh, the instrumental music that I've been doing these days, I sort of. I, I I don't know. I've got all these songs that I, you know. I've told you. I've been writing them for a while, and there were times. There have been times in the recent past when I was pretty much just on the verge of throwing everything out and just being like, "Screw this! I'm I'm over these songs. I've done everything I can do. I don't really want to hear them anymore, and uh, I just want to throw it out and play standards that I really like, or find some other cover tunes and then start composing fresh." Uh, but then I figured, you know what, why not like give them, give it like one last push to see if I can let these songs just be what they are at least. And so my idea right now is to, I don't know if this is going to happen, but to try to spend as much time in the studio as I can over the next, uh, next little stretch. I've, 
uh, I've, this summer has been rare for me in that I've been at home in New York for pretty much all of July, like the second half of July, August, and then now most of September. Um, I can't remember the last time that I haven't had, you know, some sort of substantial touring, sure. on, like the European circuit or something like that. And, uh, so I just, I'm trying to take advantage of that time. And I, it would be really nice if I could just record everything that I have in my book so that I, so that I can still follow through with that idea of like getting rid of all of this old music so that I can really feel like I can put it behind me and start fresh. It sounds, from that description at least, like what's happening in the studio is a little more fluid, a little more open to experimentation than what we might normally think of as, okay, it's all rehearsed, let's go in and spend our 12 hours recording the whole record or whatever. Exactly. And um, it's really been an adventure so far, and I'm, I'm wading into something and I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing at all. <laughs> that, that's the fact of the matter. I'm not sure how I'm going to pay for it. I don't have a label. You know, I'm calling in favors from some friends and um, I feel like somehow I feel like I'm doing what needs to happen right now. And um, so to give you like a rundown, you, you came to the gig that I that I did uh, recently over at Shapeshifter Lab, which is an amazing space. It really is a great space. That was my first time there. I was really impressed. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, uh, man, Matt. Matt Garrison is a beautiful cat, and uh, Fortuna, who runs it as well with him. Just really, really great place, and I'm looking forward to, you know, an ongoing relationship with those folks. That's great. So, um, anyways, the gig that we did there was with, uh, so the rhythm section of that band was Matt Brewer and Tommy Crane. And both of these guys I've known since I was about 15 years old. Matt, I met in the Grammy band, the Grammy High School Jazz Ensemble. Um, and Tommy, I met at like a Manhattan School of Music summer jazz workshop for teenagers. And uh, over the last uh, three or four years, they were my touring trio for the majority of the time that I was out on the road. 
and they're they're just really good friends and um we've spent a lot of time with some of this music so it's like got some it's got some history on it you sure know? so uh and then the rest of the band was charles altura the guitarist um who I met in Grammy Band at the exact same time as Matt Brewer. And in fact, the three of us were roommates when we were staying out there in Los Angeles at this, you know, this little program. And, uh. And I have to admit, I'd never heard of Charles, and I was very impressed Charles, with his playing. He just has an amazing set of ears, and. Charles very is very musical. special, I think, you know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of amazing guitar players in New York, and I love playing with all of them. Um. And, but, but I, I just recently had the opportunity when I was up, I was up in Montreal at the Montreal Jazz Festival, did a, did a duo gig with Joey Calderazzo, which was, that was an adventure <laughs> of its own. Um, really fun, really fun, had a great time. But I happened to run into Charles up there and I hadn't seen him in probably six years and before that another, five or six as well he's still based on the west coast he's based in uh los angeles although i'm doing my best to change that <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to trying to intrigue him to to get out here nice um but yeah we just i saw him out there and we ended up going uh to a friend of mine's house for a little party afterwards uh after the concert there happened to be an upright piano and an acoustic guitar at the place and at some point, some of my friends who were there were like, hey, you guys should play. I was like, uh, okay, why not? And we just started playing standards. And just the natural sense of flow of like, we were, we were finishing each other's sentences just right off the bat musically. We were just understanding counterpoint, understanding like how to play with each other in a very, very intuitive, natural way. And I was like, wow. Which can be a challenge for those two instruments. I mean, that's a lot of fingers it's going all at it once. It certainly can. It certainly can be a challenge. And I've been fortunate. I've had, you know, I've, I've some really good relationships with guitar players. And that's one of the things that I've, I mean, I've worked with uh, Mike Moreno, of course, for many years. And uh, we've done a lot of duo playing, which I also love. And I also would like to document that. Um, uh, not to mention Kurt Lage, you know, like sort of the list goes on. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. I seem to have become the guitar player's piano player. <laughs> it's very strange. I, I would not have expected this, you know. Sure. Even like even seven years ago, you know. But that's that's my life these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I love guitar. That's the thing. That's it's a, and it's a, I guess it's a funny thing for a piano player. I love the sound of guitar. I, sometimes I feel for my music, guitar is like a it's like a magic wand. It's like, or or a third arm or something. Mm. It's some other color that really just makes the songs come to life. I feel. Um, so yeah, Charles, he 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 came out and we got a chance to spend some time on these on these tunes before the gig. Uh, and then Dana, I'd played a bunch of this music with, and Dana is just a beauty. And uh, first of all, has one of the most incredible sounds on the saxophone that I've ever heard in my life. That's before any of his content. Like before before any of the notes he plays, before the, all those choices, just the sound. Mm. Uh, 
and he knows how to play a melody. He knows how to play a melody, which is one of these things that uh, that uh, I find sort of a little perplexingly, but strange, like rarer and rarer. Uh, or people, I mean, and that, that's not a judgment call. It's just like it doesn't seem like the thing that people are as interested in doing. And uh, so I, I'm just very happy when I find someone who likes to do that. And your music, uh, where at least where Dana was concerned, often calls for, I mean, a certain amount of restraint if that's the right word it, mm-hmm. it calls for adherence to the composer's intention absolutely i mean to a point sure to a point and this is the paradox of what my idea of this stuff is because i i i, I have specific things that i'm looking for and certain ways that i want the melody to be phrased but at the same time i also don't want it to ever feel like people like just music that's being read off a Sibelius chart, you know, even if they are, they are Sibelius <laughs> charts, you know, I still don't, I don't want that to be the feeling as a listener. Mm. I want it to feel emotionally connected. And as time has gone by, I think my music has gotten simpler in some ways. Uh, I write m- much fewer odd meters than I used to. Uh, I'm drawn to, to rhythms that, don't have anything really tricky about them, but the music get is seems to get a little bit harder emotionally, like it's a little bit more demanding that people surrender themselves to it rather than assert their idea. So the it, it's a it's a funny thing, it's a funny thing. But I'm very lucky to have folks who so who you know are willing to <laughs> to to take that journey and like try to figure it out with me. To kind of go back to something, and I've kind of derailed you from talking about the studio, which I am interested in getting back to, but I just I want to stick on that point for a minute and go back to something you said earlier about how you are uh, taking some of the material that even predates your first record and giving it a fresh look and, and doing some editing. In light of that kind of understanding you have of where you're at now musically, kind of digging deep into the emotional content of music and maybe making some of its structures 
less complex. Mm-hmm. What impact has that had when you go back to this music that you wrote when you were writing a different way? Are you restructuring it in line with this new A lot idea? of times, yeah. Um, there was a section in one of my tunes that I played on the gig which called Siren that uh, in the past used to... It, it, it's sort of the big pinnacle of the song. And it used to be changing meters every single bar because I was trying to create this sense of like chaos and tumult and like a shipwreck almost. Um, and somehow what I, what I came to realize is that every time I would play that, that section, everybody, it felt so tricky in some kind of way that it never, that it never actually had the tumult that I was looking for. It, it felt like it was like I was trying to direct that to happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I restructured that and put it in 4-4, but just added some more syncopation to the rhythms that go against the 4, it was much more effective. Um, yeah, that's just one example, you know, of a of, uh, little restructuring that I've done. And a um, number of other tunes as well. But... Uh, yeah, it's very it's 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 interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. So, uh, take us back now into this idea of uh, what it's been like in the studio so yes, far. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I I was running through the band that I played the gig with. Uh, so I had three days in the studio recently, um, over at Brooklyn Recording, which is the same studio that I made my first record at, Invisible Cinema, and. Uh, also, I've done a lot of other cool things. Derek Hodge's record, I did some work on that over there. Ambrose, uh, both of his records were done there, and I played on the first one. Um, yeah, I like I like it there. It's a real jungle. They have I don't know if you've ever been there before. I haven't, no. But um, they have a whole menagerie of uh, musical instruments that that Andy Taub has been collecting. And, uh, you know, including Mellotron, which I used on the first record, all sorts of incredible guitars and uh, beautiful vintage keyboards and a piano that has a vibe, I think. If not the most perfectly regulated instrument, it definitely, like, it records well and plays like something with a personality, which mm. I often prefer to something which is, like, straight from the factory and perfect, right. you know? Uh so, so day one in the studio, I brought in the band from, uh, from Shapeshifter and we did about four tunes, the four tunes that I thought felt the most comfortable with that group from the gig. Um, and, uh, yeah, my idea was just to sort of jump in and I had these three days and I just wanted to sort of start calling a bunch of my favorite musicians and find what I wanted, what I wanted to do, and what I still want to do, is to find which people like which songs, because not every musician is going to like every song I wrote. But I do think that if that some people will like some of them, and if I find the right folks and the right thing that just gets them activated and gets their creative juices flowing, then it's a even better chance of that song like coming off the page and really mm. coming to life. So. um so you, I used that band on like four of my tunes. We did um, 
we did versions of one called The Trickster, um, one called Dreams of a Mechanical Man, <clears throat> uh, another one, Your Favorite Raincoat, and then one more called The Drift. And uh, still working out which ones we're going to use. And uh, But I think we got a really nice version of at least probably two or three of those. <clears throat> Day two, I brought in... Uh, some of my good friends, I brought in Ben Street to play bass with, and then R.J. Miller, amazing drummer, um, on drums, uh, and I got David Varillas. Oh, great. To play piano, and I played, uh, Wurlitzer organ. Nice. <laughs> on my tune, which is my sort of, my weird Alice Coltrane tribute song. Um, I tried to get a sound that's, somehow reminiscent reminiscent of the sound on uh what's that what's that record transfiguration yeah um she's just one of my heroes and uh yeah that was super fun super fun to play with you know ben and david have played a lot together and uh Dav and uh david and rj have played some and ben and rj are roommates you know or or RJ has been living downstairs from Street's place in Red Hook for a number of years now. So it just, it felt like a really strong community that we are, that we had there already. And so that, that gave that song a chance to get off the page, which was really fun. What did it, what was it like for you to have another pianist playing that song to get to hear it through somebody else's fingers? Oh, it was super cool. It's like, you know, I, I, I showed him the basic vibe of what sort, because the song is super open. It has a few voicings. It has like, it has a series of six descending voicings and then six ascending voicings. And they're sort of cued whenever it seems like it's time to go on to the next section. Um, but voicings one, meaning ways the chords are yeah, laid out on, meaning the, I had, I, on your like, fingers. Exactly. And well, not, not, and it was actually very specific voicings that I had written on the page, like it, three note voicings for the most part of just, I don't know what chord change I would call this, but here are these sounds that I've written okay. and they're happening here. Okay. Kind of. And, uh, then I told him, you know, but as soon as you understand a little bit of that, then get rid of them and do something else. And, um, so it was, it was super fun. We did a few takes of that and I was over at the Wurlitzer organ just having a blast. Uh, RJ was on fire playing some incredible drums. I mean, the whole thing was really fun. And, um, and, uh, then I'm, I'm, I'm just like trying to get people's attention. <laughs> like which section are, uh, there's three sections to the tune. And making up my mind at the end of like the cadence of a phrase, I'm like, where are we going now? Are we going to one? Are we going to go to two? Maybe three. Some of the time I would just like shrug. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So to let, make up your mind, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was super fun. And then, um, then day three, we did, we did a couple of other tunes that day with that band. Um, Day three, I brought in uh, Thomas Morgan to play bass, um, who I can't say enough about. Uh, he's basically my favorite musician. <laughs> and definitely, I'd say, one of my favorite soloists on any instrument. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, Nate Wood to play drums <clears throat> on the first half of the day. He had to leave later on that day. And so Nate Wood was on drums the first half, and then Obed Calvert wow. <laughs> came in and did the second half. <laughs> These and three so, days are kind of an embarrassment of riches. It's amazing. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> it was it – was, it was, uh, I'll tell you what. It was, it, was, it was a luxury. Sure. It was a luxury, and it was total adventure. I just – I. As I said, I sort of just waited in, and I'm like, I don't know what this is going to be. <laughs> and honestly, I feel I feel a little bit like I just don't want to stop. Like I, I'd love to, if I can figure out how to keep it going and just keep on recording, figure out how to find money to pay cats what they deserve, you know. And uh, it would just be really cool to keep on continuing in this kind of open source way, you know. Yeah. Just because there's so many musicians that I love. And I called these guys on this day, but I, I, I mean, talk about an embarrassment of riches. How about this community that we have here in New York City? Like, just yeah, you could go for weeks and weeks with never the same band twice. That's what I'm saying. Would all be amazing, yeah. And it, and and and, it, and I discover new perspectives on what these songs are. Sure, you know. And I think that the songs, some some of them are structured, are pretty pretty tightly structured but other of them others of them are very much open to interpretation and even the tightly structured ones i'm i'm always curious to see what somebody's going to bring to the table if i say nothing at all you know It's interesting listening to you talk about this process because it – this might be not exactly the right analogy, but it, it almost feels more like a a classical composer having his works recorded by a series of ensembles that are just the, – the thing that's going to unite them is the composer's name on the album cover right. rather than, you know, this is so-and-so's band right now. And exactly. Where they're at. That seems more like what it is. I don't know if that's – yeah, I hadn't thought of it in those terms exactly. Um yeah, it's interesting, but I almost think of it just more like 
the the template that I would like to have, and I don't know if it's ever going to be possible, but some of my favorite records are, are those made by the band Talk Talk, mm. um, where they just sort of shut themselves up in a church for six months or so, sure. you know, <laughs> and uh, emerged with this bewildering, well, a couple of bewildering masterpieces, Spirit of Eden and uh, Laughing Stock. Yeah. Uh, not to mention then Mark Hollis's solo record that he made after that, which is another masterpiece. Um, if Mark Hollis ever uh, happens to tune in and listen to anything, we need you. <laughs> we need your music. We need your music back in the world. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> so uh, right before we started recording... Um, there was a, there's a stack of books on the table and the, the top book was the second book of Tao, um, by Stephen Mitchell. And, uh, I was commenting that I've, it's a book I've wanted to read and you read me something from it. And it, it kind of put me in mind with something else I've always thought about you. And you can tell me if I'm off base and we don't even have to go in this direction. But, uh, it's always struck me that your interior life is very much is connected to your music in a, a visible way that I don't always feel with people. Mm. And that's the thing, the thing about you and about your writing that's always grabbed me. And I think maybe even more so now than when I first started listening to you is when I hear you play and when I hear other people play your music, I feel like I'm getting a chance to hear what's happening inside you, which is what makes music powerful for me. Mm. And what I don't, what I often do not hear in the kind of, you know, tech, very technically skilled, but somewhat emotionally lacking, I think, music that goes on a lot of the time. And so I wonder how you feel about, uh, if it's something you're interested in talking about, how you feel about the connection between kind of self-exploration and what happens then on the paper and in performance. Well, sure. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I don't, don't know where to begin. It's sort of, but, but I don't know. I like, I... My, my, my interior life is, uh, is, uh, certainly, certainly a bit of a, uh, carnival funhouse ride at times. And, um, um, but there, there, there's moments of it that I, that I think are like, you know, emotions and, uh, experiences that I've gone through. And some of them have directly led to songs. Sometimes in, very odd ways um the there's a song that i recorded your favorite raincoat on this record and weirdly enough and i I don't quite understand why but i wrote the song right after the japanese after the tsunami in japan um and the earthquake and the song is very peaceful and sort of and just like a almost like um makes me think of watercolors like a Miyazaki movie or something mm. like that. Uh, but not at all connected to the specifics of like how terrible this whole, you know, the, the tsunami and the n- nuclear disaster and everything that's been going on. Um, but somehow coming from there. And uh, so if, if I like, if there's a strong wave of emotion, sometimes it'll, pour itself unexpectedly into a song in a very different way than hmm. it's not it's not so much like i'm saying okay here's the story of this thing that happened and i'm right. going to write a song about my poor sad life it's just like you know when there's some emotion and 
when I feel open and receptive to that and at the same time able to translate it into music somehow, then, uh, then I'm very lucky. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then every once in a while I, re- I end up with a song like that one, which I don't understand. I don't understand how that song came to be- exist exactly, but I like it. So. And what's the effect then of playing your favorite raincoat? Does it, do you put yourself in mind of that time? Do you, do you try to re-engage with that emotion or do you just let come what comes I just, at any performance? I just, uh, I think that I don't, I don't try to put myself in that frame of mind in particular. I think there are some other songs that I do consciously engage more with a particular emotion when I'm playing them. Okay. But, uh, that one, that one I just want to make something that feels, I don't know, like a, like just a healing sort of, I, I recorded that song as well with Becca Stevens. We, we wrote a version of it together, um, on the Arts for Life record that, that, um, that came out, I guess, last year. Yeah. Um, and she, we, we, and me and her, we put, put some poetry of, um, a 19 year old girl to, and made a melody over one of the sections in the tune that in my new version is just improvised section. Okay. So, uh, we have another version of that, which, all, and so the song has always somehow been connected to just creating, like, I don't know, it sounds, I don't know, it doesn't sound quite right, but like a healing sort of, or like a warm blanket, just a warm, warm feeling. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's what, that's what that one's about. Sure. You mentioned uh, this is that this is the first time you've been home for this length of time. Can you talk about some of the people you've been you've been out with and some of the th- places you've been in, in recent months? Let's see. I, I know mean, it's a long list. <laughs> yeah, a long list. I mean, there's uh, been a fair amount with with James Farm, you know, with Joshua Redman, Eric Harland, Matt Penman, those guys, and I'm getting ready to go go down to Curacao with them oh, just wow. for two days. Uh, leaving on uh, on Friday of this week, so I've got a few few days before then, then to to reimmerse myself into that world <laughs> after getting lost in my own little yeah compositional dream world for a while. Um, uh, so I've I've been touring with them a fair amount, few amount, few months out of the year, it seems like. Um, uh, some gigs of my own here and there. Um, Kurt Rosenwinkel. We have the quartet with, uh, Justin Faulkner and Eric Revis. And we just recorded, um, 
Kurt's newest record back in March, and I guess that's going to come out later this year. And uh, next year, we have a pretty... It's looking like an extensive set of dates in the spring. So that'll be fun. Great. A um, bunch of my friends I play with, uh, Maria Neckham, uh, vocalist who and composer who's very unique. And uh, uh, really... She was recently on the show, as a matter of fact, so mm-hmm. folks can look in the archives for her. Yeah, yeah Maria's, Maria's great. And, um, yeah... I let's see what else. Will Vinson, old friend I who I also went to Manhattan School music with, and uh, so I do some do some work with him, which is a lot of fun. We're getting ready to do some recordings coming up as yeah. well. Um, that's been a lot of it. I mean, I've just uh, you know little gigs around town here sure. and there. Did a super fun thing at Smalls uh, recently. With uh, Joe Sanders and Justin Brown, um, they had a uh, they were putting they had like a co-led band, and they asked me and Dana to play, and then Myron Walden came and just blew everybody out of the water <laughs> with an alto solo on Kenny Barron's Voyage. That uh, yeah, that was that was epic. That's great. <laughs> Oh, and uh, you mentioned also just quickly in passing, and I wanted to ask you more about. Uh, I think you said it was in Montreal, the the um, duet show that you did uh, with Joey Calderazzi. I'd like to hear more about that. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, was, I mean we'd never we'd maybe met once beforehand, and it was sort of a suggestion by the festival for us to do a show, and I was like, hey, why not? Why not? You know, I've done. Um, I haven't ever really done that before. I've done some solo piano playing and. Also recently, some solo piano recording. Okay. Um, but uh, just figured it would be an adventure, and it certainly was. We played a couple tunes of each other's and then a bunch of standards, you know, in your own sweet way. Liza. Um, I did a solo piano version of my one of my favorite Duke Ellington songs, Melancholia. Um, it was just... Uh, we have such different different like approaches to 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 like to playing music and it was it was complimentary in a really cool way i thought so uh i had a great time and how much time did you have before it to kind of figure out uh, what was going to happen like an hour and a half at soundcheck maybe <laughs> um yeah that's we had been sort of emailing lists of songs that we liked okay back and forth and uh yeah, I sent him a couple of charts for some of my tunes that he learned, and he sent me some of his that I learned. We played Keith Jarrett's, or, or well, not his, it's not his song, Rainbow. Oh, yeah. Some, I guess I'm not somebody sure who, else wrote yeah, who that. Yeah, who wrote that? Um, yeah, it was just, you know, kind of thrown together in some way, but but really, really certainly interesting. That's great. Um, what else, man? I mean... Just seems like there's all you know recording sessions with sure. different folks here and there, and uh, yeah, but it's it's been nice to be to be here for a little while now, and you know I I haven't been taking that many gigs just because I've wanted to like really direct my energy on finally doing something new of my own. Yeah, well, I this- think for a long time I was a little bit paralyzed. Mm. Um, because I have I have some perfectionist tendencies, and 
it's why I keep on rewriting these songs and we'll never just let, you know, let them, let enough be enough. And, uh, and I, and finally, if once I just made up my mind that I was just going to start recording and give up on the idea of there being a perfect or even like a definitive version of any particular song, like this is the way the song goes. Once I realized, once I let go of these songs and started treating them more like little children that I can't really control anymore. Um, I became a lot more fun. <laughs> became a lot more fun, and it made me feel like there was actually a chance to do something with them. My guest is uh, one of my favorite writers, Aaron Parks, and uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you again. I'm, I'm glad we got the chance to do this. Thanks for being on the show. Likewise, man. Thank you. That's music from Aaron Parks. Keep your uh, ears peeled for a new record from Aaron at some point. My name is Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Quas. Please get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.